Hey, old friend, what do you say? Old friend, make it okay. Old friend, give an old friendship a break. Why so grim? We're going on forever. You, me, him, too many lives are at stake. Friends, this long has to mean something strong. So if our old friend's wrong, shouldn't an old friend come through? It's us, old friend, what's to discuss? Old friend, here's to us, who's like us? Them few. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios, this week on Broadway for Sunday, May 22nd, 2022. Lots of twos there. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, will be released September of 2022 and can now be pre-ordered on Amazon. Please pre-order that and get Peter's numbers there on a first day. That's the, you know that Peter, that's the Amazon scam. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. you get everybody to pre-order that oh, way you're number yeah. one on the first day. It's kind of like uh, I know that Michael, uh, you know. Immediately bought the digital version of Six, the uh, soundtrack to Six, so that you can soundtrack. It is a soundtrack because they recorded it live, you know. Uh, Uh, And that that way, it made number one on the Billboard. What's it? The 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 sub chart. It's the Billboard cast album chart. I didn't even know that that exists. Anyway, Peter (laughs) Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. I have a uh, bone to pick with you. All right. What is it? So last week we talked about uh, yeah. July 7th. You know what July 7th is? That's the global International Forgi- Forgiveness Day. Yeah. Yeah. Glo- global Forgiveness Day is July 7th. Yeah. You know what also is July 7th? What? It's World Chocolate Day. Ah. Way ah. more important than forgiveness. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Chocolate. Oh, what a beautiful story. Yes. <laughs> it is marriage. In so fact, in other uh, words, we can all eat as much chocolate as we want and forgive ourselves. Yes. Okay, and, good. And you have to forgive yourself before you can forgive others. <laughs> That's what they say in six, right? <laughs> you can't love another without loving yourself. That's what they say in Two Gentlemen of Verona. <laughs> yeah, but James wants to keep bringing up six. <laughs> <laughs> July 7th is right after July 6th. <laughs> also, that other voice is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. And for the record, no, I did not pre-order the six album, but I did. Oh, pre-order. you got it as a gift. Yeah, right. But I did. But uh, but I did pre-order. Um, I'm very excited. The film version of Flower Drum Song is finally ah. coming out on Blu-ray. Okay. And I think that's the last. I think it's the last Rodgers and Hammerstein film musical to uh, to make it to Blu-ray. So I, I, you know, for all its flaws, I love that movie. So do I. And I, I, I see it that way too. By the way, Michael. Thank for you. all its flaw, yeah. But yes. uh, uh, rarely does a year go by that I do not watch it. I don't think there ever is a year that goes by that I don't watch it. So very, um, very charming. Mm-hmm. 
I, you know, I, I know this is where theater oriented here and not technology oriented, but mm. what do you mm. think the future of Blu-ray is? You I mean, me. is Blu-ray, uh, Blu-ray going the way of vinyl, where only uh, very select collectors will grab Blu-rays? Well, I guess there's no reason for it if, as long as people can stream, uh, you know, the same quality. In 4K, uh, uh, yeah, or right. higher in the future, yeah. Yeah. But uh, you but, get to own it now. I mean, this is the big thing with streaming is that right, that's it, at, yes. at, as things go from service to service or drop off of services, you can't even, you know, get them anymore in some, in some cases. That's right. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I have my 70 year old cast albums uh, mm-hmm. that, that I, you know, on LP mm-hmm. that I've got. I mean, literally, I'm mm-hmm. holding in my hand a record that was made 70 or 75 years ago, mm-hmm. and it still plays perfectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> may I tell a story about Flower Drum Song, the movie? Sure. sure. Go right ahead. Okay, so um, when I got interested in the early 60s, this was the first movie to come out that was of a Broadway musical. So I was very excited. Um, And uh, I went to the RKO Keith Memorial Theater in Boston, now the opera house where touring shows come. Mm. And um, I I love sitting close to the movie. I sat in the first row. And soon after um the movie began i i heard two guys come in and sit behind me and was so interesting we had the same sense of humor whenever there was a joke on that screen we laughed at we started laughing at the same time we ended laughing at the same time we were so in sync it was so amazing um i was just so thrilled to have somebody who was on the same page as i two guys in fact and when it was over i turned around and i was stunned to see that they were african-american now i came from a lily white suburb i never knew an african-american i had never spoken to one only when i was in downtown boston did i ever see one but the point was the nuns in school had always said to us everybody's the same but i'm not sure they believed it frankly but the thing was that day i really learned that everybody was the same because indeed i was in total sync with these two guys and here's what i loved most of all it was a movie about asian americans so asian americans caucasian african-american there we were and oscar hammerstein brought us all together and i'm very grateful for that Hmm. I wonder if they knew or or you knew at that time that Juanita Hall was African-American. Yeah, right. I didn't. <laughs> Needless to say, that came up much later. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's wonderful in the picture, too. Wonderful. Wonderful. Mm. Uh, Michael, did you say that uh, the 75-year-old album, what it was? Well, I have um, uh, several. I mean, I, I just I have... Um, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, um, Carousel, uh, and uh, uh, um, I have the the boys from Syracuse that that studio recording that was mm-hmm. that like 1952. So yeah, yeah, that that's mm-hmm. close, right? It's adding up. Yeah. yeah. Did you get your cast together from boys from Syracuse? Have a listening party? Well, <laughs> they are. I mean, I actually, I think they all have the the album. Well, uh, I mean, I just want to remind everybody that on June sixteenth mm-hmm. at uh, fifty four below, we're going to have mm-hmm. the boys from Syracuse in concert with uh, John and Matthew Drinkwater, J. Arbery Jones, and more, and more, so, yes, and more. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, but holding a seventy five year old album, you you theoretically could have a young Marilyn May on that. Ah, that's right. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for that segue. <laughs> Marilyn did a wonderful concert uh, last Monday night in, to benefit the York Theatre Company, which um, 
is temporarily, uh, I guess, performing in the theater at St. Jean's, and that's mm-hmm. where the that's where the concert was. I, I guess they're hoping to get another new permanent home. Uh, you know, having been mm. well, I don't Love well have, having left uh, the the. Uh, the theater at St. Peter's at City Corp uh, during the pandemic. Um, and so she she really just gave a wonderful concert with her great musicians and everyone I knew was in the audience. <laughs> um, so it was it was quite a packed audience. But there was a, there was, I have to say, uh, you know, live theater. Sometimes it's wonderful. Sometimes very strange things happen. Uh, Marilyn got to her Hello, Dolly medley and she started just sing before the parade passes by. And she had a momentary uh, lapse of, of the lyric, uh, you know, which lyric to go to. And so she indicated that she didn't know, you know, and she sort of like asked for help. And Lee Roy Reams, uh, fortunately, uh, was it was in the audience. So he shouted, but did not sing uh, the next line, which was "I'm I'm going to go and taste Saturday's high life." Um, so Marilyn thanked him, and then she started again, and she and she sang, and then she faltered again, and then another person whom I will not name started singing the song and sang the whole first verse from the audience. Wow. So. Um, that was that was a uh, quite a moment, <laughs> and fortunately, fortunately, Marilyn uh, dealt with it well, say, saying, "Oh, I love you, thank you, thank you," but I don't, I'm, I don't think she was that happy about it. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I, I'm getting scolded from our our live listeners here that uh, I called the six. Uh, oh, uh, soundtrack! The soundtrack! <laughs> soundtrack! But I, I, I view the six soundtrack as a cast recording within a soundtrack because it contains all of the sounds uh outside of uh the show included in it so oh, that's I, a good way to look at it <laughs> so I, I think that there is a cast recording within the soundtrack I see. That, that's that's why i'm calling it that and so now is it correct now that there are two recordings of that of that fabulous score uh the the, the london and the and the and the broadway is that right can't you picture Michael putting up his two hands and doing um, quotation marks um, when he says fabulous? Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. <laughs> Is that right? There were two? Uh, yeah, I, I, think I, so. I believe yeah. that there was a yeah. London recording. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin McCollum is a producing genius, the, the way in which the, he is marketing six and uh, getting it out there and – and doing what they do. Um, oh, this brings up something. You know, um, yeah. you may recall that I said, uh, gee, will this be the first time if Six Wins Best Musical hmm. that nobody from the cast has been nominated? Um, and no, I did some checking and um, <clears throat> Titanic. Titanic uh, won hmm. Best Musical and there was not one human being nominated for uh, wow, uh, Brian Darcy performance. James. No, I, 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 am I wrong? I thought. No, I, no, I, I just always assumed. I mean, if you are playing Russian roulette and you have to decide between you being wrong and me being wrong, I'm going to go with <laughs> me being wrong. Well, uh, well um, I'm checking as we speak, but um, but it looked and what was so interesting is that um, Titanic won every award that it was nominated for. Yeah, okay, best musical, best book, best score, best scenic design, and best orchestration. Those yeah. were the um, five nominees and uh, nominations, and they got all of them. I mean, that's something to be uh, proud of too. But nevertheless, not one human being who was in the cast was nominated, and um, I find that extraordinarily interesting. And I didn't realize it at the time. 
it, it's such a, a shock to me because I, I just always assumed that. Uh, yeah, wouldn't you? I mean, there were a lot of nice performances in that show. Alma Cuevo, you know, sure. Yeah. Well, but I, I also recall it was a, a a full year as far as other shows. So I, you know, I. I, I don't remember the other nominees, but uh, sure. But this that's was the first the time in history. Right? Yeah, yeah. But this was the first time in history that um, it hadn't happened um, that somebody wasn't nominated. So, you know, you expect that. That's right. all I'm saying. You know, right. So, gotcha. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, there's been so many uh, rumors and mm-hmm. uh, of a Titanic yeah. revival. I, I, yeah, they have. Yeah. I, I wonder if, it, if any of them are going to uh, come to fruition anytime soon. Mm. Uh, we talked last week about the city center production of Into the Woods, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, we talked about the possibility of a transfer. But would it happen with this cast? And I think the rumor is right now is that it, they are looking to transfer into the St. James, oh. um, but without this cast. And oh, so I'm wondering, oh, is it oh. worth it to no. come without Heather Headley <laughs> and without Neil Patrick Harris and without all the other great? Uh, yeah. performances that we saw, but uh, that's what the rumor is right now. So we'll have okay. to see if we hear something this weekend. It's some sort yeah. of announcement. Who knows? Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So, uh, you know, summertime is uh, May, June. I guess we're not actually in summertime yet, but we're coming into that May and June when every weekend there's weddings and, mm-hmm. um, and so many people have to uh, attend their friends' weddings and things mm-hmm. like that. So Michael and Peter get over to see Funny Girl without Beanie Feldstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know where Beanie was this week, but uh, previous week she went to a wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Michael, why don't you start us off with uh, Funny Girl? Yeah, uh, just um, by way of introduction, I was supposed to go a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I was asked not to attend that night because Ramin Karimlu had gotten COVID and he was out for 10 days. So they rescheduled me uh, for yesterday matinee. uh, And 45 minutes before I got an email saying uh, a heads up that that Beanie was going to be out again uh, for both performances that day. And it turned out, I believe she was out Friday mm-hmm. and both on Saturday. And I, I guess today also, I'm not I sure. I don't know. Um, with uh, no reason that I saw, uh, I mean, no reason in the email. It didn't say illness, didn't say COVID, didn't say previous mm-hmm. engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, um, uh, so, but I did want to see the show and I had heard wonderful things about Julie Benko. So I, I did go and I'm very glad I went for her because I think she was fantastic. She was really wonderful. And by the way, uh, do either of you know, I looked it up. Um, I, it seems like she is no relation to Tina Benko. I have no idea. No, yeah. No idea. yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, it doesn't seem like she, I, you know, I, I don't know how common a name that is, but I was mm-hmm. just wondering uh, anyway. Uh, she really was wonderful in the show. Uh, she has a very beautiful and strong voice. Uh, I thought her acting was great. I thought she had the the uh, the accent, the New York uh, accent down very well. I don't know what her real accent is. Um, and she um, in some ways, I, I would imagine she fit the part better than than Beanie Feldstein. There's that lyric that uh, remains about um uh, when a girl's incidentals are no bigger than two lentils. And while 
while Julie is not flat chested, I, 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 I would think that it would apply more to her than to Beanie. On the other hand, uh, I would say she doesn't fit the role in the sense that she's a very, very pretty uh, I almost I dare say beautiful woman. And a lot of the humor in funny girl is that Fanny is, is not that good looking. Uh, so, uh, but you can't have everything. <laughs> you know? And I really, I really was glad that she saw it, but I thought the production was quite a mess in so many ways. I made so many notes. I'm just going to read them uh, randomly and stop me if, if I get too much. Uh, the opening announcement is uh, done by Harvey Firestein, uh, presumably, uh, you know, on a recording. And uh, I guess he had to insert himself into it somehow. And he ends uh, the announcement by saying, uh, you know, after after telling people to wear their masks and keep them on and all that stuff. He says, now let us take you to musical comedy heaven. And I thought, well, you know, maybe <laughs> you should leave that to the audience to decide, right? <laughs> um, the, or the orchestra sounded fine when it started. And then this, then we got to the point where the strings are supposed to come mm -hmm. in and there really mm -hmm. weren't any. Uh, and then there were also some really awful clams uh, by a, a, the trumpet player one of the trumpet players in the orchestra. So I don't know if they had a sub, maybe they had a sub with, you mm. know, with COVID going on, but that was a little surprising. I'd never heard anything like that before. Um, Peter's absolutely right. Uh, Fanny comes in, uh, whether she's Beanie or Julie, <laughs> she comes in, she walks in, she's wearing a fabulous coat and she drops it on the floor. And then she sits down. And I, I honestly think the reason that happened was that there was no place to put it. Uh, and that the director said, just drop it on the floor and then we'll add a line about uh, from the maid about why is your coat on the floor? Uh, so that's what they did. Um, she sings Fanny sits and she sings a little bit of who are you now while looking at herself in the mirror. And I thought, well, at first I thought, well, that sounds like that, that that might be a nice idea, but not really, because when she sings it later, it's all about Nick Arnstein. And so it's a little confusing that it's used for two different uh, reasons, even though they cut out the lyrics in the beginning, now that you're mine uh, mm -hmm. and the other lyric that makes it about him. Uh, Fanny's debut at the Keeney Music Hall was nonsensical in this production. We're supposed to believe that Eddie Ryan somehow has prepared her to be in Cornet Man and shoves her on stage uh, without anyone knowing that that was going to happen, including the rest of the cast. Absolutely ridiculous. And that's not what happens in the movie. Uh, and, oh, and by the way, um, that uh, dance music from Cornet Man that I put in the musical moment uh, a week or two ago, that is not in this production that did not survive. So I think that that music is almost lost to the ages. I wonder if it's still in the rental materials, if you get it. Um, but I'm glad I put it in the musical moment because it's pretty rare. <laughs> um, Ziegfeld, uh, before his love makes me beautiful, Ziegfeld uh, makes that ridiculous comment to Fanny, you're a comic, they're supposed to laugh at you. Makes absolutely no sense to what is supposed to happen in that number. And also, if he felt that way, then why is he angry that they laugh? It, you know, just, again, not what's in the original, not what's in the movie. And I don't know what, what they were doing. Um, the, in the movie, uh, before, um, uh, there's a scene uh, where they're in Baltimore. Uh, oh, before that, 
before you are a woman, I am man. Uh, we we understand that Fanny is very angry with Nick because she has not he has not stayed in touch with her after they met. Uh, if they first met in the uh, in the scene where uh, where they sing people, uh, and she's very angry with him, and then she shows up for the "You Are Woman, I Am Man" scene, and she's really really angry with him. Uh, but in this production, they cut out the, that scene uh, where where she uh, tells him how angry she is, and so then when she shows up in the in the at the restaurant. Uh, in the private dining room, uh, we have no idea why she's so angry with him because the last time we saw them together was in the people number. Um, so that was that was just ridiculous too. Um, uh, so, so many other things here. That temporary arrangement, the song that they added back, I thought that fell flat. And I have to say, I, I thought the rat-a-tat-tat number kind of fell flat too because I think that kind of comedy, that old kind of Yiddish uh, comedy just does not really work uh, anymore in the present day. So I'm sure some people enjoy the number as a, uh, you know, as a, as a big tap number, which they turned it into. But, uh, but as far as the comedy part, it didn't really work. Um, uh, um, lots of, other, I have a lot of other stuff here, but I, I, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm going on. I, I really thought it was a misfire. Uh, I, I thought the sets were pretty good, Overall, except for that one unit in the in the middle, that brick unit, that curved mm. brick unit that stayed on stage for everything and was inappropriate for most of the scenes. Um, but, uh, you know, so I don't know what what they could have done with that. I'm just glad I saw it for Julie Benko. And it really will be interesting to see how this production proceeds if um, if Beanie misses a lot more performances for whatever reasons. And uh, I had, I think I had predicted a couple of weeks ago without having seen the show yet, that what they might do is put, um, is, is make Julie an alternate and have her do maybe two Mm. or three a week. Uh, uh, And now that um, the award nominations are in and, uh, Beanie didn't get one anyway, that's no longer an issue. Uh, So maybe they'll do that, but uh, if they're going to do that, I would think they would do it soon. I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Okay, so Peter, you went back and you bought your own ticket. Well, I was supposed to go to a production of Mother Courage and Her Children, a favorite uh, play of mine in, in Brooklyn. But shortly before showtime, I got a, a, a notice saying, you know why. <laughs> I don't have mm. to tell you why I'm not going. Um, so um, so I thought, well, you know, I did hear that Julie Benko was in, and I do believe this is a performance I should see because a lot of people are quite raving about it. And <clears throat> one thing I have to say, oh, by the way, she's terrific. Uh, let's do that first. She is terrific beyond belief, and she is substantially better. Um, and she fits the part better. Um, Michael said she's a pretty girl. Yes, indeed, she is. And yet there is a Fanny Bryce in her face as well. So in a way, she fits it better uh, there. And yes, indeed, the incidentals um, line works better uh, under these (laughs) circumstances. It makes no sense um, when uh, Miss Felstein is on. So um, but I, I did feel that. I was amazed at at the voice, especially in Don't Rain in My Parade, where you have to hold that note at the end, which is not an easy note to hold because it's not a vowel. Mm. 
parade, mm. you know, and um, and she has to do it twice because it, it both accents with that. And it's a substantially long held note. And she does it very well. Her voice is really terrific, um, but she does fit the part substantially better. And that's what it really comes down to. We're talking about somebody who fits the part better. We're not talking about the fact that Beanie Feldstein's um, assets or liabilities here. We're talking about the fact that she is not ideally cast. That is the problem with Beanie Feldstein. She's not ideally cast. There are plenty of parts for her that she will be wonderful in. This is not the part for her, but it is the part for Julie Banco. By the way, um, my heart was in the, my proverbial mouth <laughs> in the scene before his love makes me beautiful because when i talked about this show some weeks back i said you know and it makes no sense that Siegfeld establishes at the beginning i'm casting you in this part because you're a comic and i'm and i remember michael saying what you know and really right. reacting and um and i thought oh god i hope i got it right oh please let these lines be in don't please don't let me think i got it wrong i mean this is quite a mistake if i got it wrong so i was really paying great attention to that scene last night and yeah he he does say that he says i cast you in this park because you're a comic so what's the issue i mean I, I, again he can come in and be angry for a second pseudo angry you know and you know act like he's going to give her hell and then say listen i gotta tell you you were terrific and what a great idea and keep it in but that isn't what happens um so it's really bizarre to me how that's um a big problem here but, but also anyway, Ziegfeld would never have made a number like that into a comic number i agree yeah <laughs> So I agree. The, yeah. It never made sense to me, frankly. No. You know, I mean, uh, way back um, in 1964, when I started, it made no sense. No, no. But he well, in the in the movie and I assume in the original, he, he says to, I, he says, I want you in the finale because I need a strong voice in the finale. And she says, they're going to laugh at me because if I come out and tell them that I look beautiful. And he says, I assure you that won't happen. Um, so. He, he is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, OK. Well, yeah. what, what part of that don't you? Well, because because she's not beautiful and she's the centerpiece. Uh, you need a voice. I, I think that that would take second place to the fact that people would say, why is she singing about being beautiful? Now, friends of mine recently said um, the point of it is his love makes me beautiful. In other words, I'm not beautiful, but <laughs> right. his love makes me beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I guess there's something to be said for that. And I I I, I conceded that point when uh, my friends talked about it recently. But still, um, of all the solutions that you could probably look for, I think this is the least um, effective one uh, saying I need a comic, you know. So anyway, um, one thing I liked uh, very much was um, I like when we see the um, the Arnstein home uh, and we travel from season to season. There's a very pretty series of backdrops mm -hmm. um, indicating their backyard, which is quite a nice expanse. But you go from uh, what seems to be uh, spring to fall to winter. And um, they're very, very pretty um, backdrops. So I like that very much. But I also made the observation a few weeks ago that um, those cylinders that come out with brick really make it look like we're outside the um, a prison. So um, yeah. I don't like that very much at all. Um, I, um, yeah, this, this always happens, you know, the second time you see a show that, um, you had mixed feelings about, 
um, you make your peace with it to a certain degree. And um, I think it's uh, a better revival than I thought it was the first time around. And um, so I, I do go to bat for it in that sense. And, um, you know, we do have a terrific score. And looking back on it now, you know, and I, I love the Hello, Dolly score, but I have a feeling that um, if the voters had to do it over again, that they might vote for the Funny Girl score over the Dolly score, maybe even just because of quantity rather than quality. The quality of um, both are terrific, but I mean, you know, there's so much more of the Funny Girl score in, in terms of I mean, Jerry Herman uh, <laughs> was um, a little stingy with his numbers. You look at his shows and you, you'll see that there are comparatively few numbers. Um, I always used to joke that the reason they call a score a score is because it usually has 20 numbers in it because score means 20. You know, <laughs> that, and I'm not serious about that at all. But nevertheless, you know, many shows have many more numbers than Jerry Herman shows. So um, but but even aside from that, and I mean, that's uh, certainly should not be a consideration. The fact remains that that funny girl score is really something. And I have always. Yes, I've heard Gypsy. I have always judged the funny girl overture to be the best overture of them all. Mm. So um, I really adore it. And um, so uh, I do think it's a worthwhile revival, but maybe you have to see it twice to feel that way. And um, uh, and it was very nice. Now, uh, what I also want to say is I will reiterate what I said a few weeks ago. The audience went crazy for Beanie. However, I do believe the audience went more crazy last night for uh, Julie Benko. That may very well be because they were on the side of the understudy in the sense that isn't it wonderful that she can go on and be so wonderful. You know, it's entirely possible. I'm going to say that again, entirely possible that if Benko were the star and Feldstein were the understudy, that, uh, that she might have gotten more applause if she had gone on because we were on the understudy side, you know, saying, wow, this is such a difficult role and look how she does it. And she's so sure footed and so on and so forth. And again, I was thinking last night, God almighty, this poor girl did it this afternoon. You know, I mean, that's another thing, too. You know, um, so it's a very demanding role. Needless to say, you have a lot to sing and it's not an easy score to sing. And Julie Stein purposely wrote it to be difficult so that he could get Streisand to do it. <laughs> no, that's a fact. You know, he mm. really um, because there was all talk about this one, that one, the other one. There was talk of Carol Burnett. There was talk of Barry Martin. There was talk of Ann Bancroft. I mean, all this stuff. And he really wanted Streisand after he started a nightclub. And um, so he purposely made it uh, very, very difficult knowing that Streisand could do it and very few others couldn't. Well, Julie Benko can do it. And uh, she did it extraordinarily well. And yes, it was worth the money. And she, uh, I have to say she got an equally great reception at the matinee. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm I mean, sure. I wasn't at your performance, so I couldn't yeah, compare, no, but no, she, no, had no, a, yeah. she got a great reception at the men. Uh, by the way, uh, two quick trivia things. I, I thought this was fun. Um, have either of you seen the movie lately? Yeah, I did. No. Mm -hmm. uh, the movie, two, two little fun trivia things. The role of Keeney in the movie is played by Frank Phelan, mm. who, who is uh, be sure. probably best known as Ernie, the cab driver, and It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the role of Mrs. Meeker uh, in the if, if a Girl Isn't Pretty in those scenes is played by a woman named Penny Santon, who was also Madame Lucia in the movie of West Side Story. <laughs> really? So, yeah, yeah. So wow. I think it's just great to have those two people in, in that, you know, I mean, to a, a large degree, I think we all agree that Funny Girl is a one person show, but there are a little, little, wonderful little character roles as well. 
Uh, whatever it says about me, Frank Phelan will always be uh, Dobie Gillis's father, um, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> in the many loves of Dobie Gillis, um, uh, a show that baby boomers uh, really took to uh, back from 1959 to 63. Right. <laughs> All right. So that is uh, funny girl. I, I uh, I think this was before we started recording. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, although it really doesn't matter. I've gone on too long already. Uh, it's doing very well at the box office. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that we were talking about that before we started recording. That's doing right. very well in the box office, regardless of what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, you're able to get to uh, see it now mm-hmm. and forever. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, Michael and I finally get over to the Nederlander Theater to see Mr. Saturday Night. Uh, so, Michael, why don't you tell us about this? Well, I really enjoyed it. I, and I was going in cold in the sense that I have not seen the movie. Have you? Uh, I saw the movie, remembered none of it. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, I did not see it. And so I really was going in cold. And uh, so, which in a way is good because then you can judge something on its own, uh, on, in its own right uh, without comparing it to the other thing. Uh, I really enjoyed it, especially Act One, I thought was thoroughly delightful. Um, I did think, um, <laughs> this is going to sound strange when I first say it, but it reminded me in a way of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee in the sense that um, this both shows really didn't need to be musicals. And I felt that, um, that while the scores of both did not detract from the shows, they didn't add a lot either. Uh, the, the score here is thoroughly professional, uh, as you might expect from Jason Robert Brown and Amanda Green. Um, and I didn't think there was anything lacking in it, but I just felt like that it, the songs were not especially motivated as songs and, and would have done just as well as, as speeches. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, but I did think, uh, and a, fr- a friend of mine also said this actually before I articulated it, that um, uh, he said that he liked the lyrics better than the music. Uh, I do think that Amanda Green did a wonderful job here Uh and I, I've liked her um, some of her previous stuff as well, notably High Fidelity. Uh, but I, I think this might be some of her best work here. And Jason, as I said, um, you know, he, he can be very proud. I, I think everything is is well done. I, I just didn't feel like there was anything that that leapt out at me, although I did f- feel that the closing numbers in both of the acts were uh, were very good. I thought those were the two best songs in the show. Um, I was lucky enough to see Shoshana Bean uh, when I went to the show on Thursday, because I think beginning the following day, she uh, had to call out because of COVID. Uh, so I was lucky enough to see her. Uh, I uh, Again, I, I don't think that her phenomenal voice was given full reign by these songs, but I still enjoyed hearing her sing them. And I enjoyed hearing randy graff uh uh sing her songs and and play playing the role of uh uh you know billy crystal's wife which for which she is perfect uh billy's uh, character's buddy young jr and i think the main issue here for me is that the stakes aren't very high um it just kind of seems like a uh, a story about a, a a mildly dysfunctional family, but nothing nothing very dramatic. Uh, I mean, he has a he has a 
a very um, difficult relationship with his daughter. He has a, a very uh, difficult relationship with his brother. Uh, I, I guess his relationship with his wife is pretty much okay, but it's um, it didn't seem like like there was anything really compelling in the story. I think it would have been good if they could have added some kind of a major event in uh, in this fellow's life. Uh, but there isn't, and and maybe that's why um, I understand the movie was not a was not a hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe that's why the movie was not a hit. Uh, I I think they did a, a wonderful job of musicalizing it, and John Rando, uh, John Rando's direction, I thought was was excellent as well. Uh, we got to speak with Randy Graff afterwards. Um, because I, I've known her since college uh, and she, uh, you know, she, I think she's really ha- very happy with the experience overall. And she did say, I may have mentioned this last week that Billy Crystal is, as she put it, the hardest working man in show business. Uh, oh, and uh, he, I don't know if he's doing them after every show, but he's, he did a Q and a, a brief Q and a after Ooh. the, uh, and, and he, he only took two questions. And one of them was from uh, my, my guest, uh, uh, who Barbara Scalisi, an old friend of mine from Staten Island, who also knew Randy from there, and uh, and she asked, "What was um, was there a, a, a moment in your career when you really felt validated?" And Billy answered, "This is actually on YouTube. They put it on YouTube uh, on on Twitter uh, on Twitter. Excuse me, not YouTube." Um, he said it was at the 1992 Oscars when he was uh, hosting it, and um, uh, and. Uh, um Hal Roach uh, was being given an award and he was uh he was supposed to just stand up and acknowledge but he started talking from the audience without a mic and Billy is imitating him talking like this thing oh, I'm very happy <laughs> and, and uh Billy said what am I going to say how am I going to get out of this and finally he said I think it's very fitting that his career was in silent Some movies, movies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, that's what, and, and everyone came up to me afterwards and said, thank you. Thank you for, you know, saving that moment. And he said, that's when I really felt like I really did my job that night. So he's terrific in this show. His singing is very, very pleasant. Um, if you don't know him as a singer, uh, and I guess many people don't, you might be surprised at how nice his voice is. Uh, so I would highly recommend it. And the audience really seemed to adore it, especially Act One. Act Two just gets a little, maybe a little too heavy-handed. I mm, think mm, uh, with mm, the, with the family stuff. Mm, mm, I'm afraid so. Yeah, mm. it's never as much fun as it was in the first act. Right. Yeah, I I agree with you. I I, I wonder um, has Billy ever hosted the Tony Awards? I don't think so. He would think, be great. I don't think so either. I think great. he'd be great hosting the Tony Awards yeah, if, sure he, he would. Sure if he uh, would, <laughs> would do that, you know, in the upcoming ones and in, in the upcoming years, that'd be great. And, um, and do that wonderful medley that he does, you know, of the nominated um, plays and musicals. Uh, he could do that, uh, putting uh, titles to uh, existing ah. songs. Uh, that was always great fun when he did the Oscars. <clears throat> ah, yeah, that is... Uh, ho- that's a great idea. We should just mm. end the podcast right now and, and get get working on that. But uh, I, uh, I I fully agree with Michael. I really enjoyed this show, um, and uh, I I don't know if it was just uh, just hit me at the right time, but I was like, uh, POTUS was a different type of funny, but I think that this is the funniest show on Broadway right now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I really enjoyed the, the, the comedy, the type of humor that it was, um, the, uh, the cleverness of it all, and sometimes just the whole clobber you over the head with it. Um, there was... Uh, <laughs> I had a small cast, but they yeah. really all do excellent jobs. Um, Jordan Gelber... Oh, I love uh, and uh, and people absolutely again. I didn't see the movie, but everyone involved, everyone in the audience, clearly loved having David Paymer uh, back in the role that uh, of the brother that he apparently plays in the movie as well. And and Billy um, makes it clear that you know how happy he is that they got him back as well. They had, uh, I, I mean. Uh, I was. I heard this this rhyme, and I said, "I wonder if Peter is going to <laughs> is going to be not happy about this." I'll read it to you. I'm not taking drugs, and I'm not robbing banks. If I get this job by the seat of my spanks, mm-hmm. it'll be no thanks to you. <laughs> banks no, that's and fine. spanks. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's triple that's rhyme. Fine. Triple that's yeah. Fine. yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's fine. <laughs> but the uh, the bringing the spanks into it, I wonder if that that will. That will date it. Although it, it does, yeah, yeah, it does yeah. seem to uh, be firmly entrenched in the. Uh, it, I get the eighties type of feel to it, uh, but <laughs> I, it, it was it was such a breath of fresh air to see uh, a musical comedy. Uh, I I was thinking about what Michael just said about the Jason Robert Brown um, music and mm. things. Uh, and uh, Rob Johnson, one of our listeners who's actually here in our chat room right now, um, was there the same evening uh, with Carrie Purcell um, that, uh, that Laura and I saw uh, Mr. Saturday Night this week. And uh, Rob and I briefly texted about it and said, um, uh, this, this is not a... a a musical full of strong singers um, and that uh, I think that they probably pulled back the really strong singers like Shoshana. Um, into, oh, interesting. Interesting. And, yeah. and so it makes it seem like the music might not be as good as the, uh, as the lyrics, but I think the lyrics were great. And I think Amanda yeah. did a, a tremendous mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how this, uh, they announced a cast recording this week. I, I don't know if this sells a ton of cast recordings, but certainly if Billy Crystal's got, uh, the fan base that's going to go out there and, and buy, buy these, uh, buy this, it might make sense for them. But, um, as Peter had mentioned in his review a few weeks ago, um, you know who who replaced Billy Crystal? Um, you know Pete Davidson just left Saturday Night Live. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, they'll just they'll yeah. just close it. Yeah. Oh, I would love to see a situation where they um, brought in one person after another after another from Saturday Night Live. I think that would be very exciting. And um, so uh, not that I'm asking Billy Crystal to leave anytime soon, but I would really like it if indeed it became one of those situations. We haven't had one of those in a while where stars replace stars replace stars. And um, it's great fun when that happens. Well, yeah. if, the Weisler, if the Weislers were producing it, Pamela Anderson would be in it soon. So. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. We don't have yeah. that anymore. We have star after star after star. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, Chicago <laughs> s- sort of does it still. <laughs> we don't have anymore where we have uh, productions with this star after star after star. We have replacement after replacement after replacement. Yes, that we have. 
Well, okay. I guess Martin Martin Short or Steve Martin would be, oh, they'd be great, great in it. Yeah. yeah, sure. I hope it happens. Steve Martin, maybe not so much. Uh, well, I mean, there, there's the there's the Jewish thing that that has to be there. You know, well, the Jewish cat, the uh, Borscht Belt cat, Catskills stuff. You know, we also have to remember that Billy Crystal really did have a history of being a musical comedy performer before he became famous for something else. Mm. And um, our friend Kevin McInerney, which is the way we always refer to him, our friend Kevin McInerney saw him play the MC in Cabaret way back when. Oh, right. And and loved him. Mm. You know, I mean, he remembered his name right away. I mean, that was a performance that he's always talked about. So uh, and, and again, that has no bearing on whether or not he has a great voice today, because we're talking about a long, 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 long time ago. But never Nevertheless, Billy Crystal did start out doing musicals. Hmm. Well, uh, so that's Mr. Saturday Night at the Nederlander. Um, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes, and you can check it out um, to get your tickets there. Peter, we don't often talk about backers auditions, but you saw uh, a diamond in the rough in a Pablo uh, musical about Picasso at the Lori Beachman Theater. So tell us about this. Well, yes and no. Let me explain what happened. Um, I was invited to uh, what wasn't quite a backwards audition as we usually think of it. What was actually called was a listening party. Okay. Ah. All right. A difference. Now, but the thing was, it was at six o'clock. And I was invited to go see something at seven o'clock. And I really had to go to that. I was honor bound to go to the seven o'clock show. And, um, you know, because I had to do a review and um, the, the six o'clock show was not something I was going to review per se. But um, so I said to the uh, writer, uh, Charles Bloom, um, I said, listen, I've got to go to the seven o'clock show. And I mean, you know, I feel terrible, but if you want, I will sit at the very back and see as much as I can see and then leave unobtrusively. But I don't want, you might say, wait a minute. I don't want anybody leaving because nobody's going to say, oh, he must have had to go somewhere else. They're going to say, oh, he thinks it stinks. You know, so that was a, a, a big um, issue. And Charles Bloom said, no, no, no. Um, come and see as much as you can, you know, and that'll that'll be fine. Well, of course, you know, nothing starts on time. And of course, the producer got up there and made a speech and Charles Bloom got up there and introduced people and so on and so forth. Uh, nobody performed. We were simply listening to the amazingly oh, uh -huh. produced cast album amazingly produced. I mean, uh, you even saw our video of um, the musicians. Um, I mean, it's it really is a, a Golden Age cast album. So um, terrific, terrific. Um, a double disc says, as it turns out, which I learned later. But anyway, my point is, uh, by the time all the introductions were done, I only had time to see two songs because I had to go where I was going. But those two songs were fabulous. They were terrific. I mean, really, really wonderful. Um, this guy really has talent. I've, I've certainly seen things he's done in the past. And um, <laughs> so uh, I have to say that when I got home um, since that time, it took me a long time to get past those two songs because I just love listening to them over and over. And one of them is uh, about Barcelona. I know that's <laughs> song <laughs> we've had that title before, uh, but nevertheless, uh, we're talking about Pablo's background and so on and so forth. And then he wants to go to Paris. We have a song about Paris. Now, God knows we've had a lot of songs about Paris. Um, and those of us who have been to Paris understand why people want to write about it because it's such a wonderful place. Um, but, you know, a real sprightly tune. People always talk about you go out humming. Yes, um, I was fighting all my way to the um, the place I had to go at seven o'clock. Uh, which song was I going to sing uh, to myself more? Um, the Barcelona song or the Paris song? Uh, so. 
now uh, I've been listening to the CD, but I've only gotten to songs three and four because they're terrific, too. So I really do believe that the show um, has wonderful, wonderful music. I mean, if it falls apart after song four, I'll be devastated. But I don't think it's going to because as I say um, I've heard Charles Bloom's music and lyrics in the past and they're terrific. So I expect this will be, too. But it was the strangest thing to go to see what essentially is a backers audition, isn't it? I mean, they want people to get interested, so they'll produce the show, which I hope happens sooner rather than later. But um, <laughs> what they did was show actual Picasso drawings and paintings um, while the music was playing on. So it was a very different experience, but a very pleasurable one, at least for the you know, half hour I was there. All right. You also got down to the uh, Soho Playhouse to see uh, Mr. Yunioshi. So yeah. tell us about that. Well, turnabout is fair play, isn't it? And the point is, here we have um, a, a marvelously appealing actor named J. Eliza Cho, C-H-O. And his point is, well, if Mickey Rooney, a Caucasian, can play Mr. Yunioshi, a Japanese man in uh, the Breakfast at Tiffany's movie in 1961. Well, why can't I play Mickey Rooney? I think it's only fair. You know? <laughs> so um, so he is not really playing Mr. Yunioshi. Um, that happens for about um, 90 seconds, um, 150 seconds and uh, not much more. But he really plays Mickey Rooney at that point in his career when he's considering um, what he's going to do in Breakfast at Tiffany's. He's here. He's going to be offered a part in Breakfast at Tiffany's. He, uh, we, we see what an ego that Mickey Rooney had, or at least as J. Elijah Cho perceives it, um, though I will admit that I have heard um, a lot of people say that Mickey Rooney's ego was um, as big as Rhode Island, which may be a small state, but it's big for an ego. <laughs> so, so here we are, and um, he really believes that he'll be considered for the lead, the romantic lead that went to George Papard. Um, he really believes that, you know, because he's been a star. And it really brings home the, the situation of it's hard to be poor, but it's harder to be poor after you've been rich. And it must have been very hard for Mickey Rooney at that point in time to um, be considered for minor roles and roles for which he is not uh, nobody uh, would look at this role and say, ah, we got to get Mickey Rooney. Uh, uh, he'd be great. for. I mean, it, how it happened is, is very strange. And that does come up, too. So um, it's only about an hour long. It's at Soho Playhouse downstairs in their cabaret where you can buy a few drinks. And that's OK, too. But uh, I have to say, this is such a marvelously appealing guy who makes such a wonderful contact with the audience. Just really, really sensational in that way. And I enjoyed him thoroughly. Um, it, 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 a strange premise, I'll grant you, but one that he really delivers on. And um, I was very proud of him. All right. And to wrap it up for this morning, you saw Exception to the Rule at Roundabout Underground. So tell us about that. Well, um, this is a play by Dave Harris, and it uh, takes place in a schoolroom, and we're dealing with high schoolers. And Lord knows, um, we certainly have a number of plays that do that. But what we're doing here is... Um, it's, it turns out it's a combination. Well, I shouldn't say a combination, but it reminds me of No Exit as well as Waiting for Godot. <clears throat> All right. Why? OK, because they're in this uh, room, a, a, a bunch of uh, kids in this room, and um, some of them don't seem to be kids. Uh, some of them look substantially older, but <clears throat> but uh, that's a casting issue. Anyway, they're all in this room and they've been assigned detention. They obviously did something wrong and they're all there in the tension. 
And uh, they seem to be kids who you wouldn't uh, question uh, doing something wrong. They all seem to have chips on their shoulders and um, many issues. And um, they're loud and loquacious. And um, so we're not mystified. However, a girl comes into their midst um, who seems to be um, quite a few cuts above. And they're surprised to see her because they know her from class and she's a brain uh, and um, very nice to teachers. And how did she get to detention? So um, Dave Harris, the playwright, knows that uh, the famous uh, playwriting tenet that um, it's always good for a character to have a secret. And so we're wondering how she got into detention. Well, there's more to the play than that. And it's a very weird situation where, indeed, all the kids are afraid to go out into the hall because they say you really get in trouble if you go out into the hall. You have to stay in that room. Uh, Where's the teacher? Nowhere to be found. And that's what I mean by waiting for Godot. Something has happened to the teacher. We don't know what. We never find out what. But he never shows up. And in fact, I thought there might be a um, boy spoiler alert her here, but um, I don't I don't think um, any of our audience won't know what I'm talking about. Um, I looked in the program to see if indeed the teacher was going to show up. Um, and I thought maybe even there would be something like, um, well, let's say a famous Tony winning play from uh, the 70s. I thought there might be some sort of thing like that. But um, no, he's not listed and um, he never does show up. And uh, so a lot of strange things happen. The lights go out, bars start coming out on the, the classroom windows. Um, it's, it's very, very strange. There is a surreal feel to what's going on here that um, I didn't quite tie into because the reality of the situation was more interesting to me. So you had to suspend disbelief because, all right, roundabout underground is a very small space. And this was done as a thrust stage. And that was the classroom. But so many kids have private conversations that the other people aren't supposed to be hearing, but believe mm. me, they would be hearing them. I mean, so that's a problem in this needs a, a this, uh, play needs a bigger canvas than the one it's getting. So, um, but we find out that she, uh, she did something wrong with somebody else. Well, why isn't that somebody else in detention too? Where is that person? That's a question that's not answered either. Okay. So, um, you know, a few problems here and there. However, let me say that Erica played by Maya Boating, uh, playing the good girl, so to speak, is terrific. Oh, she's really good. Um, I liked her amazingly. Um, the rest of the cast, uh, as I felt, was just a little too old. That said, um, they were certainly uh, efficient in their roles. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing Maya Boating in um, many more things because she was really quite good. One of the issues of this play involves the n-word and there's a lot of talk about um blacks using the n-word um without any uh, feeling of uh judgment in it uh that they just use it and this smart girl so to speak this accomplished girl takes issue with that and that's a big part of the play and as well it should be it's a question a lot of us have asked along the way and she asks it and she will not take it even though they want to bestow it on her so that's a big issue on the play too so um round, round about underground is for uh budding playwrights who are starting out and doing the best they can at this moment in time uh, in hopes that they'll do better as time goes on 
this is a certainly a solid start in many ways, though you may leave a few bits unfulfilled uh, for the questions that I brought up. Maybe they won't occur to you, but they certainly occurred to me. All right. So that is uh, exception to the rule. It's uh, playing through June 26, 2022. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So uh, a few quick things in the news this week. Uh, Michael, you sent over the uh, article about Scott Rudin, um, uh, Actors' Equity, uh, requiring uh, producers to remove NDAs from uh, people covered under equity contract. So uh, anything extra that you wanted to add about this? Maybe we should just explain a little bit what that means for people who don't know. <laughs> so an NDA is a non-disclosure agreement, uh, and Scott Rudin seems to have had uh, non-disclosure agreements as part of uh, some contracts, um, and, uh, and Actors' Equity uh, went, to the, to, went to the Broadway League and said that this is uh, – NDAs um, should be able to cover um, – Things that are trade secrets, right? Uh, but not, exactly. but not, but not cover things uh, bad you know, behavior, bad behavior. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I mean Donald Trump has uh, very often used NDAs in this mm. way and lost mm. his uh, lost mm. his case against Omarosa for the same exact thing. Um, Omarosa sued and said, "You can't hold me to an NDA. That's unreasonable." Mm. And um, so, uh, Actors Equity has made this move to remove NDAs except for trade secrets. You know, I guess the the way in which the uh, the beast turns into the prince is like an <laughs> example of a trade secret. Right, know? right. So, um, uh, so Michael, I'm sorry, did I cut you off. Did you mean to say something else about it? No, no. Uh, you know, I mean, we'll see if, if this leads to anything, uh, if this leads to anyone stepping forward who wouldn't have otherwise stepped forward. Uh, I, in a way, I kind of feel like the Scott Rudin thing is history, but maybe it won't be if something else comes up, obviously. Yeah, that's uh, it's very interesting, and especially if Scott Rudin eventually comes back to produce on Broadway, uh, I, I don't know how that happens. I've not heard any rumors of it or anything like that. And but, by the uh, way, uh, it was recently announced, as I'm sure you both saw, that they are now selling seventy six dollar yeah uh, oh, standing oh, room seats oh, to the Music Man, and oh, to me that has Scott Rudin, oh, Rudin written oh, all over it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I'll grant you it's not 1966 anymore. But when I saw Superman, obviously early in the run, paid uh, $3 for standing room. Mm. Uh, so, God almighty, 76. Yeah. Would that have happened clever. if there weren't 76 trombones? In, uh, uh, would that have happened? I mean, No, that's what I meant about yeah, Scott Rudin exactly. written all over it. I know. I know that's what you meant. I know that's what you meant. But I mean... I, <laughs> they were. Yeah, I saw. A t I saw a Twitter thing about, uh, you know, what if rent were five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred dollars <laughs> standing room tickets or one hundred and one Dalmatians. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> when, uh, anything mm. with a number in it could. Wow. Uh, Seventeen seventy-six is coming up. So yeah, right. You know. Yeah. God knows what's going to happen there. <laughs> I hope a seventeen dollars and seventy-six cents for standing room. That's what I hope. <laughs> I remember so. specifically that $76 was what I paid um, to sit in the rear mez for Hugh Jackman's one man show. Wow. Uh, and I had a wonderful seat uh, wow. for $76. Wow. That was at the Broadhurst, wasn't it? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's a good theater for uh, yes um, for that. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So interesting, um, interesting campaign by a girl from the North Country. Uh, they re- they did a live capture of one of their performances right before they reopened. Uh, this week or last week or something like that. Um, and they are doing a big Tony push. And uh, so are, are you uh, – ha- have you seen anything unusual in this Tony season for the, for the marketers of any, any of the uh, different shows? Well, uh, we can tell Six really wants it. Six does really want it. It really does. (laughs) And I think it's going to get it. But um, it's very, very interesting to me how uh, they're really pushing it. They invite us back, send us little presents and uh, so on and so forth. So I am not a fan, as I made clear on several occasions, including in this podcast. But one interesting thing is I didn't know um, that aside from everything else that it it has more of a history than i realized that show including cruise ships yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. before they came to new york they did some cruise ships yeah yeah um you know michael if would you have felt better from the music man standing room tickets if they were 75 instead of 76 (laughs) (laughs) every little dollar helps doesn't it it? sure does (laughs) well i was thinking the whole six campaign thing yes indeed right um and uh you know girl from the north country and what they're doing there has sort of upset the ship for the return to uh to kill a mockingbird we Nobody talks heard about it. that anymore. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. Uh, w- uh, what do you mean specifically? I'm a little. Well, the, to, to Kill a Mockingbird was supposed to go into the theater where uh, right. Girl from the North Country is right, the right now. Yeah. On June first, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And we what did did they, did they extend? Well, well yes, but the yeah. point is, we haven't heard anything about To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Right, but I'm thinking that maybe those two things might be unrelated. But it was supposed to go into the Belasco. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, but what I'm saying is I think that maybe perhaps it just wouldn't be coming there anyway. Don't you oh, think? Oh, sure. Yeah, indeed. But um, <laughs> but the point is we don't hear anything. Right. Right. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I'm sorry about that. I think and Mockingbird was selling well. Of Mocking, course it and, was. and I think it would it would still sell well oh, I if it reopened. Agree. I thoroughly agree. Um, so maybe well, it's just going to open later in the summer. But what, as Peter said, we haven't heard nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, obviously it had big problems when uh, Greg Kinnear tried to go in. But um, I think uh, that a lot of people would probably pay to see it with Richard Thomas. Mm. Well, another thing, too, perhaps they're waiting till uh, the fall because, indeed, school groups um, would certainly be interested in To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. And, um, right. May- maybe that'll um, be their motivation, because I really do believe that that's that's a substantial part of their audience. Oh, I don't know that for sure, but I, I imagine that has to be. A- oh, I, I've always thought that. I'm sure yeah. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. So, uh, you know. If we hear more than that, maybe it's just that they they don't want to get caught up in trying to market themselves during Tony Awards because there's so much oxygen in the room taken up by all the Tony Award talk. And also, uh, COVID's not done with Broadway yet. No, it sure uh, isn't. So maybe they're waiting to see what happens next and mm. if uh, Monkey mm. Pox is going to take mm. yeah, New York. Yeah, really. You know? <laughs> God almighty. <laughs> I know. So speaking of COVID, um, mm. we got an uh, announcement from the drama desk that due to the realities of COVID-20, 
uh, COVID. The 2022 Drama Desk Awards ceremonies will be different this year. Winners will be announced the week of June 6th. The awards will be presented during abbreviated ceremony at Sardi's on Tuesday, June, June 14th from 3 to 6 p.m., which is, you know, mm. uh, the Drama Desk Awards were usually the highlight of my year weren't mm. they, you know? <laughs> so uh, interesting to see uh, Drama Desk Awards, uh, and not even a mention here if it's going to be live-streamed or anything like that, but 3 to 6 mm-hmm. p.m. sounds, it's a very, very odd time frame, and, uh, and we hope that uh, Drama Desk returns to full force next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, wonder Peter, if, I wonder if they ever approached um, New York One to ab- actually produce the live show. Because uh, for a huh. while they were being yeah, very, yeah, you know, they were being very uh, involved, you know, in terms of video coverage of of Drama Desk. Well, um, I, I think the, 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 the nominations were announced on New York One. Um, yes year. and no. Yes and no. They just announced four. That's all. Oh, okay. Oh. Best play, best musical, best revival, best um, musical revival. That was it. I watched it. I mean, maybe they did something after that, but they said at four <laughs> o'clock on whatever day it was. I think it was a Tuesday. We're going to announce mm-hmm. what it is, and um, and that's all it was. Just was it cut, cutting into the weather of the ones? You know, <laughs> I, it, it, they did say four o'clock, and believe me, there were stories before four o'clock. Didn't get on at four o'clock on the dot. Uh, so. Uh, but um, but I will say um, when I was Dharma Desk president and I am not responsible for this, a woman named Randy Levine Miller is responsible for this. Um, New York One did cover the awards in 96 and 97. Um, and so we we were on then and um, then they lost interest for whatever reason. Hmm. All right, so that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. You can listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, including uh, Julie Benko's uh, mm-hmm. Twitter line where she's got some great pictures of uh, herself as Fanny. And she is truly, truly excited every time that uh, every time she goes on. And she's so she seems I, I don't know her at all, but she seems mm-hmm. like such a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. You know, let me just say also, before I saw her, I thought well, maybe this, maybe she's not really that good. And maybe people are just reacting this way because they think that's a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. If the, if the understudy was really that much better uh, for the role than the, than the leading lady. And maybe they're exaggerating it because like they're feeding into that myth and like trying to pump up that story. But no, she really is. She really mm-hmm. is very, mm-hmm. very, very good in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, before we get on to trivia, I just want – I pulled up the information for the 1997 Tony Awards, the nominations, where we were talking about Titanic and that none of the mm-hmm. actors were nominated. So I forgot 97 was the year of Chicago and Jessica uh, Jekyll and Hyde and Steel Pierce. So we had James Naughton, who won, Cuccioli for Jekyll and Hyde, Jim Dale for Candide, and Daniel McDonald from Steel Pier. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the – uh, actress in a musical, B.B. Newworth, one for Chicago, Pamela Isaacs for The Life, Tanya Pinkins for Play On, Karen Zamba for Steel Pier, 
Uh, let's see. Featured role in a musical. Chuck Cooper, The Life. He won. Joel Blum for Steel Pier. Andre DeShields. Andre's leaving mm. uh, Hadestown soon. Do we have mm. any word mm. on who's replacing him? I haven't heard. I haven't heard either. Yeah. Andre for Play On. Sam Harris, The Life. It's interesting because so much of the, the Life and Steel Pier and all these other things, um, we've been hearing so much, uh, so much about in the recent past. So, in the actress in a featured role, Lilius, Lilius White in The Life, she won. Marsha Lewis for Chicago, Andrea Martin for Candide, Deborah Monk for Steel Pier. The, uh, this was quite a competitive year. Well, the irony was that the Drama Desk Awards, which were given out earlier, um, they named The Life Best Musical. So I imagine that, hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure, I remember Cy Coleman being up there. Now, whether he was up there for Best Score or just up there is uh, when they announced Best Musical. But the point is, um, traditionally, um, the, the Drama Desk Best Musical is the same as the Tony Best Musical, when indeed we're dealing with Broadway shows. Occasionally, an off-Broadway show will... Uh, be victorious because the drama desk in, includes off Broadway, but they must have gone into that Tony feeling pretty cocky, uh, given that they had once the drama desk award, but it didn't turn out that way. Hmm. All right. So Peter, do we have an answer to last week's <clears throat> trivia question? Yeah. Uh, why are the musicals that I, I, I named 12 musicals and why are they in this order? And uh, what it simply was, was that I gave uh, musicals in the order of the month they open. So Phantom of the Opera, January, Crazy for You, February, Aladdin, March, Strange Loop, April, Carrie, May, Chicago, June, Miss Liberty, July, Hairspray, August, Fiddler, September, 110 the Shade, October, Anything Goes, November, Dear Evan Hansen, December. Juliet Green was the first to answer, followed by Chris Skiles, Paul Witte, Sean Logan, Brigadude, Josh Israel, and Karen Valen. As for Tony Janicki... (laughs) Are you ready for what he came up with? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's what he came up with. The Phantom of the Opera won Best Musical. Crazy for You won the same award. Okay. Crazy for You featured Casey Nicola. Nicola directed Aladdin. Aladdin's main character is a genie, a very large black man. The main character of Strange Loop is a very large black man. (laughs) In a Strange Loop, there's a song called In a White Girl. The main character in Carrie is Carrie White. Uh, In Carrie, Margaret White is crazy, a crazy mother. In Chicago, Mama Morton. Well, I'm not saying I don't think she's crazy, but anyway. All right. In Chicago, one of the inmates is an immigrant woman. The theme of Miss Liberty is immigrants in miss liberty we have miss liberty and in hairspray we have miss baltimore crabs javi firestein originated role in hairspray and then he was a replacement in fiddler fiddler features a song called miracle of miracles and 110 the shade starbuck claims he has the power to perform a miracle of bringing rain i'm not sure he ever says miracle he may I have to check that out, but I don't remember that. Uh, there's a song in 110 The Shade called Hungry Men and Anything Goes. Bonnie has a song, Where Are the Men? In a 2011 revival of Anything Goes, Rito and Mufay sing Friendship. In Dear Evan Hansen, the title characters sing about their friendship in Sincerely Me. Um, well, you know, it, that doesn't necessarily answer the question of why are they in this order? <laughs> so, Tony... Um, you know, you'd be very good in a production of Big River playing Tom Sawyer, who always overcomplicates things. Tony, see a doctor, okay, as soon as possible. Um, you know, let's get this looked at. All right. Uh, Peter, this- I think that maybe uh, Tony's got a back room with uh, a chart on the wall with strings connecting each different point in the chart, you know. God almighty. <laughs> anyway. All right. So this week's question. 
And this is a pretty convoluted one, too. A year after one actor had received an Oscar nomination, an actress who had been in a musical with him, a stage musical, got an Oscar nomination as well. Neither one of them won the Oscar. But these nominations had to be career highlights, considering that both had appeared in a famous musical together in which neither he nor she sang a note. Who are they? For what were their Oscar nominations? And what was the musical in which they both appeared? Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, you got over to 54 Below to see Ann Morrison's show, which uh, generated your thoughts behind this week's musical moment. Yes, uh, it was Tuesday the 17th. She did a fabulous, fabulous show uh, all about Merrily We Roll Along. And I tell you, after seeing that show, I feel like I was there for the entire audition and rehearsal Mm -hmm. process and for Mm -hmm. the whole run of the show. Uh, I did see it. I only saw it once. Um, She mentioned that (laughs) she mentioned that Betty Comden and Adolph Green saw the show 18 times. Is that right? And that they actually had, um, you know how, of course, uh, famously in the show, the, uh, the leads and some of the other characters wore uh, sweatshirts or or, uh, saying, saying who they were like Mm -hmm. best friend. And Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. what, what was some of the other ones? Um, the waitress um, or waiters had ones that said unemployed actors on them. Um, uh, yeah, I think one of the best pal, things yeah, like that, yeah, you know, yeah, but well, anyway, apparently uh, Compton and Green had T-shirts up made up that said audience. Yeah, those, those, <laughs> those spread. Yeah, yeah, they did. They A lot of people wore those. Yeah, <laughs> audience member indeed. Yeah. Oh, so then maybe they didn't do, do it themselves. Oh, I don't know. I can't say that, but I do uh, know the people wearing those shirts. There was a whole contingency that used to go every Monday night mm. to see what was going on. Well, her sh- uh, her show and show at on on Tuesday at Five Cents Fifty Four Below was absolutely brilliant, both in terms of the writing and the construction and the performance. Her voice is still in incredible shape. She has so much charm. She told some stories I'd heard before about Merrily, but others I hadn't. She went very much into the whole history of Ron Field. Uh, being the original choreographer and then being let go. Uh, and then she talked about James Weissenbach, uh, you know, uh, sh- all of that stuff was in there. It was a very full, very thorough, but incredibly entertaining evening. And so um, I thought we should uh, donate th- this week's musical moments opener and closer to her. So the opener is an, um, and a little bit of Lonnie Price singing Old Friend uh, the first time that we, we hear that at the beginning before uh, the song like it was. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks, she also t- and talked in her show about the cast album and said, uh, you know, what it was like to record it mm-hmm. uh, on, the, uh, uh, was it the day after they closed? Yeah. 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 Um, and she also said that she was the last person to record for anything for the album because when everyone else, had been dismissed. Uh, Sondheim came over to her and said, Annie, could you please redo this one line? Uh, He said, because since this is going to be forever on the cast album, I'd really like to get it absolutely right. Uh, And she didn't identify the line, but it was in Now You Know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she was the last person to record Mm -hmm. for for the cast album, which has, of course, become 
a, a, a very treasurable mm-hmm. memento of that show that has the history of it is just so so amazing and so fascinating and you should see if you haven't already oh. uh, the 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 mm. worst best thing that <laughs> ever, that ever could have happened. I always have to stop before I say that title. Yeah, it's um, best worse. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so that is our opening music. Her beautiful uh, rendition of that that version of uh, old friend. Uh, and the closer, I, I thought I'd actually pick a number that uh, Anne is not in vocally, uh, which is Bobby and Jackie and Jack. And I always, um, I always loved this song, but I think it was when there was the, that 20th anniversary reunion concert mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of Merrily that it hit me. And I said to some people that night that that song, in a way, it encapsulates the whole show because it's so charming and hilarious and brilliant, but it's also very, very sad mm-hmm. because those characters don't know mm-hmm. what the future is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since this show goes backward in time and since we're also seeing it in the future, we know what the future is. Mm-hmm. So those three characters who sing the song, Frank and Charlie and Beth, they have no idea what's mm-hmm. going to happen to their relationship. Mm-hmm. But then not o- only that, the song mentions, for example, it mentions um, Nixon, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and this is 1960. Mm-hmm. So it's before, mm-hmm. well before Watergate uh, and all of that. But, and, and then it even mentions, for example, it mentions, it has um, Jackie Kennedy singing about Maria Callas, mm-hmm. you know, who was the woman, uh, you know, whom, who Aristotle Onassis left um, in order to to marry Jackie Kennedy. Uh, So uh, that's another thing that, that, you know, that was a tremendous scandal and brouhaha at the time. But these characters in 1960 don't know that. So I think it's that um, Bobby and Jackie and Jack is actually an even more brilliant song that a lot of people give it credit for uh and that is our closer and please enjoy this performance by jim walton lonnie price and sally klein all right on behalf of michael portantier and peter felicia this is james marino saying thanks so much for listening to broadway videos this week on broadway bye 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 
you want to know how to keep track. Well, one is good-looking and young and rich, while one is good-looking and young and rich. The rest are good-looking and young and rich. There isn't a lot that they lack. Not Bobby and Jackie and Jack and Ethel and Ted and Eunice and Pat and Joe and Steve and Peter and Jean and Sarge. There's probably dozens of others at large. God knows. And Joe and Rose. I'm painting it cream for a start. We're making it into a cultural lighthouse for glamour and beauty and art. Evenings of the Budapest playing Vivaldi and Munch doing bits of Ravel. I'll get Leon Jean Price to sing a medley from Meister Singer and Margot Fontaine to dance Giselle. Together? Won't it be perfectly swell? We'll have Bernstein play next on the Beckstein piano And ordinary poems and stuff And Kalina Vishnevskia, the Russian soprano Just pronouncing her name is refreshing To the White House with casual culture. Let's have Tabaldi. She makes a guy feel good. And Oleg Cassini. Well, I think he's real good. And how about Heifetz? And Callus. And Gilgood. And later, when everything's cool, we'll push them all into the pool. <laughs> With Bobby and Jackie and Jack, the White House is under attack. Eight years is the limit, but eight will do. By then, there'll be Bobby and Teddy, too. Or Peter or Stephen. Or even you. Ooh! And then there's the Colonel. Colonel? Major. Major. You know. Sergeant! Yeah, dozens to take up the slack. If anything goes out of whack And someday elections will be unknown Cause each of our kids will ascend the throne And their kids have more kids with kids of their own It's sort of a family knack Till most of the nation's made up of relations Of Bobby and Jackie and Jack And Ethel and Ted and Eunice and Pat And Joan and Steve and Peter and Jean And Sarge and Joe and Rose 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 The decade is starting anew Maybe the country is too. 